You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Yeah, I don't think I would want to go in one that big. <laughs> no, no, they're huge. They're huge. I mean, they're, they're the largest kangaroo. I mean, we're, we're, we're headed to Australia. What can they teach us? So scientists are interested in the possibility of transferring some of the gut microbes that are naturally found in kangaroos and putting them in cattle. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, we're covering one of your favorites, right? Something you've worked yes, with? Yes, definitely. Something I uh, spent some intimate quality time with uh, back when I was a zookeeper in Chicago. Red kangaroos. I know. I know. I, I, let me ask you this before we get really rolling on them. Mm-hmm. How intimidating are they? Because I look at these pictures of these males and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, we get to the description of them. These are the ones that you see. They're like bodybuilders. They are stacked. They are stacked muscle wise. Yeah. I can't get over their, uh, kind of their biceps and their, their mm-hmm. deltoids. And the mm-hmm. triceps, yeah, their their forearms are just incredible. But to quick answer to your question is not really. We got them when they were younger, and mm-hmm. it was mostly females, and the males were also um, castrated, and so okay. they don't get as big. And I only spent one or two years working with them, and so in my time there, they never reached six feet. Uh, so the short answer is... No, but the long answer is we would have to perform physical examinations on them that required us to uh, catch them up. And mm-hmm. that would take like three people. And that was intimidating. Yeah. And we had to like do practice runs and it, uh, yeah. So no, that's for me, that was, I was getting the age where it was a little bit too cowboyish. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, um, I don't, uh, so yeah, you'd have to go like, Basically grab them by the tail and then a couple other people would come in and so, and they got, you know, they, our kangaroos are really well behaved, obviously, yeah. because we worked with them and we did training sessions with them and they liked people for the most part. So, but yes, Chris, it's very hard for me to imagine working with a, a six to eight foot male. Uh, so in that, in that situation, you'd probably just would do it all through protective contact, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, but the neat thing is there with, proper positive reinforcement training and just working with them. They're never going to become tame or pets or anything like that, but Mm-mm. you can do a lot of a hus- root, daily routine husbandry with them through proper training. And so, yeah, I don't think I would want to go in with one that big. <laughs> no, no, they're huge. They're huge. I mean, they're, the, they're the largest kangaroo. I mean, we're, we're, we're headed into Australia. So this is definitely an iconic species for them. But like these, these are huge. I mean, they're big. Well, they're big. And I picked the red kangaroo because they are, they're the largest living marsupial. Hands yeah. down. Yeah. And they're impressive yeah. and they're strong and they're graceful and they're curious. Their behaviors are fun to watch and just the way they move. And we'll talk a lot about that in the podcast. The, the tail mm-hmm. acts almost like a, an extra leg, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're just, just like Australia, they're so unique and beautiful and special. And yeah, I just, uh, really fell in love with them and I'm glad that I'm able to share it with the podcast today. I know. I know. So my question is, what are they, is, do they box? Do you know? Do they box? Cause like, you know, you see kangaroos with boxing gloves. Yes. Yes. So I went down that rabbit hole, our kangaroo okay, hole okay, okay. on 
And we'll, yeah, we'll definitely uh, talk about that later on in the podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just, some of the behaviors, like it's just such an amazing, amazing species we're going to cover. They're fun and- to watch. They're very interactive, whether they're in the wild or, uh, housed under human care. They, they definitely make fun for viewing pleasures. I mean, they're herbivores too. So obviously I like anything that's just as always munching on, on leaves. <laughs> grass. Yeah. Browse yeah, yeah. or grass. So yeah. yeah, no, very, very near and dear to my heart. That's for sure. For our Patreon subscribers, again, we cannot thank you enough for your support. Let me tell you what you guys and girls or girls and guys got to do this month. Since we were kind of off for a few weeks, so we didn't really have an organization that month, what Angie and I did is if you listen to the African Penguin podcast recently, you kind of understand the the pressures they're under. And then we went and had Stephanie Arney on to talk about some of the work that she's doing down in South Africa for these penguins. So thanks to your support, Angie and I both, we were able to, thanks to the Patreon subscribers, purchase two artificial nests that will be placed on the islands off South Africa for a African penguin couple to house their chicks because for an endangered African yeah. penguin. And, and if you haven't done it yet, you're going to have to check out uh, the movie that her and Creative Animal Foundation have made. If you go to what, what's the website, Chris, it's savingpenguins.org. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a, it's a tearjerker. <laughs> I, I, I watched it and I literally had tears because we just covered them and I understand the story and the struggles are going through. And what these nests do is because they used to have thousands of years of guano built up and they burrowed in this guano and they had the, it's, it's hardened, but they had these little nesting areas. Well, humans in the last 150 years went and dug it all up and used it for fertilizer. So these penguins were just out in the open suffering and numbers went from a million birds down to 50,000 birds. And these artificial nests are scientifically designed and we actually purchased two of them. So they're going to go out and be put on these islands for a penguin couple to go and raise their chicks and save them and help save them. So you directly. Yes. Through Patreon directly. Not only do we spend money to like O Search and some of these other organizations we've given. So we paid for some chum in the water or whatever. We now can save at least two nests are out there and we want to buy more in the future that are saving penguins, which is amazing. It's, it's just, uh, makes me feel so good. And, and that's because of you, our Patreon subscribers. Yes. Thank you so much. This is, this is why we do it, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Making impact. That's why we're here and you yeah. guys make it all possible. So thank you. Happy holidays. And let's talk kangaroos. I know. I know. So uh, it's always bad news, but let's just, Talk, there's a lot of good news for kangaroos, by the way. They're, they're, they're doing, most kangaroos are doing pretty well. We'll talk about some of the other species that aren't doing so hot. Ray kangaroos are, are doing fine currently today in Australia, but in the news, people watching, Australia is going through horrific fires, and this is the end of, of 2019. Now, for our listeners in the Northern Hemisphere, Australia's summer is December, January, February. So right now, it's really hot down there. It, it, it's really hot while we're cooled and cold and getting mm-hmm. snow down there. They're getting tons of sun. So again, the Eastern portion of the country is facing severe drought. They have historical above average temperatures and then lower than average rainfall. And so this has led to the brush and the trees. And again, this is, remember, this is where eucalyptus come from. We talked about this in the koala episode long, long time ago when I was talking about eucalyptus here in California that was brought in hundreds, you know, over a hundred years ago as wood. And that has led to our fire problems because these things are so full of oil that they explode when there's a fire. So anyways, down in Australia, they're having historical fires. It's just really bad and it's really taking a toll on the wildlife there. Again, Climate change, we talked about in African penguins. We talked about the currents changing in the oceans because of the warming. So you're seeing these weather patterns disrupted. And, you know, it's like Angie and I are trying our best not to be alarmists. We're really not. I mean, we're looking at the data. We're looking at what climate scientists are saying. And we're reporting back to you. So, again, we're not trying to 
scare people because it's not, you know, we got to be, we've got to be optimistic about our future and we can be, and we can reverse a lot of these trends. It's just, we're seeing some of the fallout on this climate change. So currently at the end of 2019, there's over 140 fires raging across Eastern Australia alone. There's a mega fire going on today. That's the size of Sydney, which is the largest. I think it is the largest city in Australia. And it's just been devastating to wildlife. Now, kangaroos have the ability to run, and and I think they're outrunning some of these fires, and not many have, have perished. But in the news, you see these koalas, and it's it, it, it just breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. And then you think about the birds oh, and the other just, animals. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So just to lay this out, you know, what's going on in Australia? There, it, 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 things have to change in Australia. You know, I didn't know this. Australia is the largest exporter of coal out of any country on earth. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so there, there is some politics and I know we have a really good listener base down there. There is some politics and involved. And we love you. Yes. Yes, we do. We do. Ah, Chris, I think our Aussie fans actually, uh, outnumber our fans from the United Kingdom as far as downloads. Oh, yeah. Downloads. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we should make it, make it a little challenge here. <laughs> Tell Pippa, you know, get more UK listeners, but, uh, yeah, yeah. That's I right. mean, we have a, yeah, it's, they're huge down there. Uh, podcasts doing really well. So, yeah. So thank you. And it, and if you want more species, let us know. And the same thing from anybody living in the United Kingdom. We love you too. Let us know what you yeah, want us to cover. For sure. For sure. That's what, especially Patreon. That's what it's all right, about. Right, right. It supports us. Yeah. You pick the, you pick yep, the content. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to sum this all up, Australia itself is feeling the effects of climate change and they're seeing it in their weather patterns. It, it's, it's got to do with the Indian Ocean currents and typhoons and all that stuff. You know, I'm not a climate scientist, never pretended to be one, but that is leading to these hotter summers, these less rainfall. And these, these horrific wildfires, you know, which is devastating to wildlife. So anyways, talking about the red kangaroo, like Angie said, you said they're, they're the largest. I saw six feet. Which ones get eight feet? Like that's insane. That's, I think, wow. Wow. Uh, wow. Breaking. <laughs> God. Like I said, mm-hmm. but that's no. not the average. Yeah. And the average is six feet. And I mean, I should say, the typical size of mm-hmm. an adult male is going to be six feet and and about 85 kilograms or mm-hmm. up to 200 mm-hmm. pounds. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to mention too is there's a big amount of sexual dimorphism between the males. The males are much larger than the females. No, and the only other measurement I had was their tails. So you said, you know, when you had to grab them by their, their tails are so muscular and so big, but almost 40 inches. So yeah. thick. Like I couldn't wrap my hands around. Yeah. Like yeah. 40 inches long or a meter long. I mean, they're huge. They're huge. Mm-hmm. But these. Well, it acts like yeah. an extra leg basically. So it needs to be strong and powerful. Yeah. yeah. And looking at them, I mean, their coats, they've got that red tint or the males do at least, right? Oh yeah. So their fur is, first of all, it's really soft, like softer than, I don't want to say anything you've ever felt in your lifetime, but it is very soft and it's reddish brown, uh, in the males. And then in the, yeah, in the, in the females, it's going to be a little duller, a mm-hmm. little more gray in color. And I think everybody thinks of the pouch and the legs and the tail, but I actually want to start mm-hmm. with their face. They just have cutest face. They have these long muzzles and of course, rather large rabbit-like mm-hmm. ears, but their, their head and their face almost looks like that. It does. Deer. It does. Yeah. They're really, yeah, they have just a really gentle, kind face and, and with soft features. So they're just beautiful for me to look at. And I love watching them chew because their little, their little mouths when they chew kind of almost look like a, mm-hmm. a rabbit chewing if you will and but once you leave their beautiful face and ears very dainty if you will the rest is almost yep yep (laughs) the rest is red kangaroos are built really robustly they're large they're well muscled uh in their tails and extremely powerful hind legs of course and this tail is strong enough to support their entire body weight 
And we'll talk more about that when we get to some of their behaviors and some of these boxing behaviors. Yeah, Chris, those hind legs need to be strong because what do kangaroos do? They hop, right? <laughs> yeah, they hop. For. They can hop up to, I, I read in a single leap, 25 feet or seven and a half, almost eight meters. And then they can jump almost six feet high what? or almost two meters. And then they can reach speeds of 35 miles an hour or 56 kilometers per hour. Like they book, they book and they jump like, yeah. 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 So they need those strong legs and then the tail and when they're moving or even standing, that powerful tail is going to act like some describe it as like a fifth leg, uh, to help them counterbalance. And then also when they're standing to help them stand on their two legs or on no legs at all. So it's just, they're, they're just massive. And, but then moving to their forearms, their forearms don't get as much attention because they almost kind of remind me a little bit of like T-Rex arms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're not that short. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, definitely not that short. And in females, they can be, they're more slender, but in males, they are just like talk about going to the gym. And I know. I know. <laughs> These forearms are just incredible. And these, the forearms too have uh, paws with claws on them and they have great, they almost look like black mitts, almost like mm -hmm. black hands, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they have really good dexterity for eating and grooming and of course self-defense, which once again, we'll talk about here uh, towards the end of the podcast. So just really, really impressive. And then, and then of course in the adult males, these, these arms are jacked, like mm -hmm. ripped biceps, mm -hmm. triceps, Really impressive. We'll put some uh, photos on our show notes and yeah, check them out. And so I, I was really moved by that because like I said, the males that I worked with did not get that big. Uh, and so to see videos of wild males and how, how strong they are, especially, I mean, the legs, of course, and the tail and all that, but the, mm -hmm. the upper arms is just incredible. And, uh, oh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Right. And then we can't, of course, forget what females are known for and what make them marsupials. And you can't really see it on their body too much, uh, but they have their forward-facing pouch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're, they infamously use it to raise their joey, their offspring that hides in there, comes out, peeks out once in a while. So, yeah, at the zoo we were working with getting them trained to uh, – voluntarily through protective contact, show us their pouch, open up mm -hmm. their pouch for us. Mm -hmm. So we could inspect to see if they had uh, a Joey in there. And so, yeah, they're really cool. They're such fun animals. And again, such an iconic species for Australia. And, you know, looking at the, the different ranges of, of the different types of kangaroos, this one has a huge range. The, it's like everywhere. Yeah. It's the map of Australia. It pretty much is. <laughs> I mean, on the East Coast, they're more inland. And, and I would probably think human encroachment had something to do with that too, you know, pushing them more uh, west. But pretty much, mm -hmm. you know, all of Australia, they, you know, coastal on the west west side of Australia, but they really like the, you know, the semi-arid plains, the grasslands, woodlands, and open forests. So you're not going to see them up there in the Daintree rainforest up in that area. That's usually not where they're, they're, they want to be, but most of Australia, yeah, in the outback. I mean, it is the red kangaroo territory. They are, they are everywhere. Now their history, Angie, is, is quite interesting. And so we covered marsupials back when we covered Tassie tigers. I mean, <laughs> tigers. Close. That was a fun episode. Yeah. Not Why? tigers. Devils. Devils. Tigers, Tasmanian devils. I swear go. I'm going to go find one. I'm going to find them and say, see, they are alive. <laughs> not extinct. There are people out there that are saying that now. So you can, I don't you know, can it's, join. It's a huge continent. There could be a small group like living somewhere. But anyways, the, the Tasmanian devil, we did cover a little bit about this, but you know, marsupials, pretty interesting history as a class of mammals. They evolved about, you know, 100, 125 million years ago, kind of like when all mammals did. They arrived in Australasia nearly 70 million years ago. So there are kangaroos in Malaysia, which, you know, Angie wanted to talk a little bit about tree kangaroos at some point, you know, different smaller species, but the, 
The, oh yes. Yeah. Yes, that is on the books for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we do know marsupials evolved in South America, so they actually went through Antarctica up into Australia. So there was like that whole debate on how they got there. But now we know today that, that they are in Australia. Now, over the last 15 million years ago, been a lot of adaptations uh, through these marsupials in Australia. Like one of the things they look at is teeth. Like everything I'm reading about kangaroos, they have these specialized teeth to browse they do. and graze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their ancestors were quadrupedal. So they walked on four legs. And then over time, they've developed more of this bipedal way of moving that we see them today, you know, on their hind legs. Now, the term kangaroo is really interesting. It comes from Aborigines, the, the word kangaroo. So when Europeans came, they picked that up and, and then it just became kangaroo. And. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the oldest living fossil of a kangaroo is one that lives in the rainforest of Queen, Queensland. And it's the tiny musky rat kangaroo. So mm, okay. whenever we want to look and see what they looked like a long time ago, that's probably the one that they would look at. It's probably like the, the earlier ancestors of red kangaroos looked like that. But as the climate changed over millions of years, not in a couple hundred, but over millions of years, they went from these little small kangaroos to these big, massive ones we see today. And so the red kangaroo is actually the, the latest version of kangaroo, they think, and it's about one to two million years cool. old. Yeah, yeah. So re- really wow. cool stuff. Okay. Now, within kangaroos themselves, there's over 60 species. The family is my- Macropodidae, and then they're called macropods, which I thought was cool. Large mm-hmm. large foot. Yeah. Now, large foot. Angie, I don't think you, you knew this. In the kangaroo family, there's really four classifications of kangaroos. So you talked about the tree kangaroo. Yes. we The tree kangaroo is near and dear to my heart. They have them at the Santa Fe Teaching Zoo. And so, and a lot of them are endangered, critically endangered, threatened. So, and there's several species of tree kangaroos. Yeah. And they don't get too. So I don't, well. They don't get super they don't big. Get too big. No, no, 16 to 30 pounds. No. You know, they're, they're not huge, but they're not small either. Yeah. They live in trees. Yeah. So it's, they, yeah, they got to kind of be that size. Right. So yeah. So I would have guessed that in the family of macropods. Mm-hmm. And I would have guessed probably wallabies. Yeah. Yeah. Which are a smaller version of kangaroos, mm-hmm. more or less, mm-hmm. with some other morphological differences, mm-hmm. but usually it's going to be the size. It's the determining factor. And that's it. Yeah. And then. And then there's this wallaroo. As I was reading, <laughs> wallaroo. I saw this thing called a wallaroo, and I said, "Hmm, I gotta check my sources on that. I don't. That doesn't. That just seems like a a name mm-hmm. that somebody would like mix the two together for a joke, or just somebody who didn't know what they were talking about." Mm-hmm. But after a little bit of digging, I learned something new, and that's why this podcast yeah. is so fascinating. There are actually cousins of the kangaroos. And the wallabies that are called wallaroos. Mm-hmm. And they're exactly that, somewhere kind of in the middle. Yeah. And of course, I asked John, I said, have you ever heard of wallaroos? He's like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course you have. Of course. <laughs> uh, so, but that's why we do this podcast because we love learning. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have to cover a wallaroo too because I just am in love now. And after looking at pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we have the kangaroos. The wallabies, tree kangaroos, and walrus. Yeah. All in macropods. The macropods. Yeah. I thought it was mm-hmm. fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Oh, I had no, and I had no, I mean, just, I had no, my, no idea that there were many species. No. I just did not. No, no, no. Yeah. And they, and they all different niches and, and live in different parts of Australia and Microasia. Now, the true kangaroos, that's what I'll call them, you know, because they used to all mm-hmm. be called kangaroos until they got classified in these different, uh, groups. Really four major species. So we have the red kangaroo, which is Macropus rufus. Pretty easy. The eastern gray kangaroo, the western gray kangaroo, and the antelopine kangaroo. So those are the, the four true kangaroos. Now one of my favorite parts of the podcast. The largest kangaroo ever. This thing was called, it was actually part of the short-faced kangaroos. So they have a, a short muzzle. 
which is kind of funny. They look like rabbits is from one, like the, the pictures I saw. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So put a rabbit head on a kangaroo body. This thing was Crossopotodon and got up to like seven feet tall, weighed up to almost 500 pounds, 500 pounds. Holy yeah. macaroni. They were big. Yeah. So if we've seen, you know, that's a big boy. Some of them probably got over eight feet pretty, pretty easily. And they died out, they think about 50,000 years ago or maybe 18,000 years ago because oh, okay. not only was the climate changing a little bit, but huge showed up, but Homo sapien. And so the Homo sapiens, they think hunted them down to extinction or contributed to that. You know, like if you go back to what killed off the mammoth and other megafauna, they think that, uh, good old humans probably hunted them for, for quite a while. So before we get more to physiology, Angie, what's the importance of kangaroos? Because I'm reading some stuff that I'm going to get to at the end, talking about how some Australians view kangaroos as pests. And Sure. Well, they're really important. And we'll talk about their diets uh, when we get to nutrition and what they eat. But the red kangaroo, and kangaroos in general, but the red kangaroo, because it's the largest kangaroo, is a grazer. It's an herbivore. So it's really huge in shaping the vegetational communities of the ecosystem in which they live. They are grazers. So it's really going to be up to them to help to keep the landscape from the grasses not growing too high and from eating the the browse or the leaves that fall from the ground and clean, you know, cleaning up and of course being that middle ground between the smaller grazers and then the larger predators. And of the larger grazers that we've talked about, like elephants and rhinos, white rhinos or grazers, uh, and our browsers as well, they do a great job keeping checks and balances. Mm-hmm. And among these checks and balances are keeping different species of plants, which I know we don't talk a lot about plants in this podcast, but keeping them in check so they don't overgrow uh, and take over, especially some of the ones that we all have them in our yard, those weeds mm-hmm. and things that'll strangle all your other plants. Uh, and so that by doing that, they help keep around so many numerous plant species for other herbivores, smaller herbivores and things like that. And so without kangaroos, the ecosystem or the landscape and the types of plants that grow throughout Australia would be completely different. Mm-hmm. And I can't speculate on exactly which plants would overtake and which ones wouldn't, but it, we know that grazers change landscapes, yeah. period. Yeah. And so it's kind of a risky game to play to take them all away. Well, it goes back to what we, we opened up with, you know, year three with the F- African elephants and how they went and culled, you know, 40,000 elephants saying, Oh, they're, they're devastating the landscape. And then, you know, because it was causing desertification was becoming a big problem there. Well, it only sped up when the elephants were removed and they're like, Oh, wait, wait, that was a big mistake. So, you know, to call kangaroos pests and we need to go out and cull them and, and some. People are saying they're destroying the environment. It, it, it's, you know, look at history and look at, look at around the earth when you do that, when we remove right, these. Right. You said they've been there for millions of years, mm-hmm. evolving their special mm-hmm. niches and, and the different species of kangaroos. We don't have time in this podcast to cover them all, but they have different niches. Mm-hmm. They go out, they go after different species of plants. Some are more grazers, some are more browsers, some eat leaves. So, I mean, they're really doing a good job as far as not over grazing or eating mm-hmm. one or two types of plants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they so they involved in harmony with those plants. And so taking them away is definitely not going to be good. I, I, no. I can't predict how, like I said, but, and so that's thinking of them from their ecosystem role. But if we look at their economic, so mm-hmm. for all the naysayers out there calling them pests, uh, if we look at their economic role of when it's not about the money, it's about the money. There's an interesting scientific paper and or kind of topic that's going around because as we mentioned, they're herbivores and kangaroos, quick spoiler alert to nutrition is with these plant diets, they have a similar 
digestive system to ruminants, such as cattle. And ruminants, of course, are known for one of the byproducts that they release, which is basically methane. Mm-hmm. Um, when they pass gas and through ex, uh, exhaling and things like that. Interestingly enough, because of the gut microbiome in the kangaroos, they don't release any methane. So they have similar digestive mm-hmm. systems, but instead the hydrogen byproduct in a kangaroo is fermented and converted into acetate which is an acetate is can be used as a fuel to provide energy for the kangaroo. So they don't need to release all of this methane and things like that. So scientists are interested in the possibility of transferring some of the gut microbes that are naturally found in kangaroos and putting them in cattle and is seeing if these gut microbes can do the same thing instead of uh, instead of using the fermentation byproduct and creating methane, mm-hmm. the, perhaps they, these uh, gut microbes in cows could produce acetate, and then that could be used as an additional source of energy for the cattle mm-hmm. and thus reduce some of these greenhouse gases. And I probably should have led with this, but methane is a greenhouse gas like carbon dioxide, but methane is actually more potent of a greenhouse gas. It has a bigger, it has a bigger effect of trapping the heat within the earth than carbon dioxide does. So methane's no good. Cows release it. We know that. And kangaroos don't. So voila, we just had to figure out the, yeah. the physiological, nutritional, physiological secrets that their gut is doing. Right, right. And go from there. Right. So. Kangaroos could save us. I know. It's, it's so narrow minded when you start calling animals pests. And I just, you know, I go back to your experience at Kruger and the elephants and they're letting nature take its course. You know, when years of abundance, there's a lot of them. When there's drought and things like that, there's, there's less. And, you know, it's like, you know, you just go in and you just start killing these animals and culling them, not knowing the, the long term effects. It's just so narrow minded and it's just, it's just the wrong strategy. So anyways, we'll, we'll keep our eye on it for sure. But, you know, looking at, at a red kangaroo specifically, they can live up to about 23 years in the wild. And we talked about how fast they are, how, how much they leap. But there's something interesting I didn't know. They're, they're actually really good swimmers, which is kind of cool. You know, I didn't think they could, you know, how good of a swimmer is a kangaroo? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And obviously. Yeah. They tricked you. I know. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And they say, you know, they're, they, their back limbs, that's what they use to propel themselves. I feel like I, yeah, I feel like I need that video in my life. That'll be my YouTube search, uh, deep dive later <laughs> yeah, on tonight. Looking for <laughs> a kangaroo swimming, but they, you know, like they hop in unison with their back legs, but when they swim, each leg moves independently. So, and they use probably their mm-hmm. arms, probably doggy paddle or something like that. Uh, obviously great hearing. I mean, large ears, you know, to protect against predators and, you know, it's, Today in Australia, I guess their main predator would be the dingo, especially younger ones. But back then, you know, we make fun of me, but Tassie tigers were real and they were running around Australia everywhere and they were a a main predator for kangaroos. So that's probably why they had to evolve these large ears, you know, and some of the other predators that are long gone, you know, either when before man got there. So, Mm -hmm. but looking at their physiology, Angie, I mean, just looking at their their skeletal structure, I mean, huge feet, I mean, macropods, huge, very, very strong leg bones, you know, and then the musculature is crazy. Not only we talked about their forelimbs, but their hind limbs and that tail is just all muscle. It's just like all muscle. It's huge. And you got to touch it, right? Oh, yes. And then some, yeah, a lot of, uh, it's, it's big and strong. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then look at what they eat. We talked about it. You know, they, they're grazers, mainly herbivores. They do eat some shrubs. So they do some browsing, but in some studies that I saw, you know, up to 95% of their diet is grass. And again, that's going to depend on where they are. In other studies, grass was maybe 60% of their diet, you know, where they're getting a little bit more leaves and stuff. It's one of the things they, they, 
they've adapted to survive like in the outback of Australia. You, you think about it that they can go long time without water, almost like a camel, you know, especially if they're getting moisture from plants. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. Yeah. Be- mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I guess their kidneys are really specialized to conserve water and their urine's really concentrated. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, when you live in the heat, that's definitely an adaptation that a lot of the, the heat dwelling or desert dwelling animals have, have, uh, evolved, which is really cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, they can range when they're out foraging up to 15 miles away, you know, or 25 to 30 kilometers. So they will travel great distances to find, you know, appropriate food for themselves. And then when you talked about like, their microbiome or some of these microbes, what are some other, it's just making me think about like their digestive anatomy, some of the other things that they might be able to do. Yeah. Well, and they, they are kind of like a cow. I mean, obviously they're not a true ruminant with a four chamber stomach, but kangaroos have kind of two stomach chambers. Mm -hmm. Uh, One's called the sacaform and the other one's called the tubiform. And the sacaform contains bacteria and begins kind of the fermentation process, the breaking down of all the cellulose, right? So Mm -hmm. plant material is just full of hard, undigestible things like cellulose and other, you know, other things that just us humans have a really hard time breaking down. And so they start that process and, but somewhat similar to a cow is they do, uh, regurgitate cud or little bits of food will come back up every now and then from their stomach back into their mouth and then they'll rechew it. So they grind it down more and then swallow it again. So that's pretty similar to anybody who spent any time watching cows it's to see a uh, kangaroo do that. And then of course, once the cud is chewed down small enough, it, uh, it'll be processed just like any other food and go from the small intestines to, or, or it'll travel from the stomach chambers, to the small intestines and large intestines. And then of course out the door. So pretty, pretty cool. Um, and Chris, what's also neat is because of being a grazer, the kangaroo has developed specialized teeth. It's kind of rare among a lot of mammals. It has its incisors are able to crop grass close to the ground. And then it's molars chop and grind, which that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the two sides of the lower jaw are not joined or fused together. So the lower incisors are further apart and it gives the kangaroo a wider bite. And the kangaroo molars get ground down. They actually move forward in the mouth and they'll eventually fall out. And then they're replaced by new teeth that grow in the back. And this process is what's known as, word of the day, polyphyodonty. Polyphyodonty, okay. I'm saying that. Okay. So it occurs in elephants and manatees. Huh. <laughs> and kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. All right. So we'll have to do some research on mm-hmm. polyphyodonty. Okay. Uh, cause the first that I had heard of it and I mean, you're the elephant expert. So, uh, well, although we don't do a lot with dental. No, no. <laughs> but I mean, that's one of the things that or, always, it's interesting. They grow new teeth or replace it because I know with aged elephants, that's one of the things that eventually causes them to die is just their teeth are so worn down. Sure. So maybe it's just the, you know, right, you only get so many. Maybe they stop replacing yeah, them. Yeah. You only get so many. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not, and maybe it's the thing too that like, yeah, you know, as they're growing, yeah, I don't know how, but if kangaroos live to be 20 some years, that's a lot of wear and tear, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, uh, all creatures podcast is a little bit more research. Today. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you yeah. know, it's, you know, if we learn something new each week or each new species. So looking at behavior, I mean, that is one of the things when you watch them and I'm telling you, Angie, it just, I imagine in July when I, I went down to New Zealand and I just had to fly into Australia to change planes in Melbourne, I wanted to get off the airplane. And, oh, I did get off the airplane, but I wanted to get out of the airport and just spend a few days there. And I, I didn't have time. I had to come home. But, God, I would have loved to have seen them. I would have loved to have gone out to the outback and seen these things hopping around. Like, I just – I will get down there. I absolutely will. Well, and Chris, is as fun and beautiful as they are to watch, and of course – 
you can see them interacting and grazing. But the best time to actually view them is going to be in the evening or at nighttime. Uh, they're more nocturnal or crepuscular. That's like dusk and dawn type animals because it's hot. Yeah. It's Australia yeah, hot very, during the day. Very. So during the day, they're going to spend a lot of time just kind of sleeping, relaxing, um, grooming, and hanging out and grazing somewhat. But they really pick up speed, of course, once the sun goes down. And But another cool thing about their behavior, which I observed a lot during the day when I was uh, working with them um, in Chicago, is that they have a really cool way that they evaporate heat from their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so what they'll do is they will spend a lot of time licking their forearms and pretty much anywhere they can reach in their upper body, forearms, armpits. Um, and what that does is the, the licking, putting the water on their fur helps facilitate evaporative heat loss mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they have a lot of, uh, superficial blood vessels that can, basically help remove the heat. And so you'll see a lot of that. And people are always like, oh, are they grooming? And they do, of course, do some grooming or aloe grooming of each other. But no, the licking is actually a physiological need because they don't pant, right? Mm -hmm. so like the dogs will pant and things like that. They This licking helps cool them off. And so especially for the males that are red, when they lick themselves, they almost look like sweaty and they become even, in my opinion, more of a brilliant red. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look for that behavior when they're lounging around. That one you'll definitely see, definitely see during the day. Uh, but they're social creatures and that's why they're fun to watch as well. And so kangaroos in general are going to travel in groups, which are called, do you know what they're called, Chris? Oh, mobs. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. mobs of kangaroos. Yes, mobs yes, kangaroos. yes. Mm -hmm. And for red kangaroos in particular, they're going to typically travel or hang out with small groups, averaging about 10. And they're going to be made up of females and their offspring with one or maybe a few males. There are times, depending on the season, especially if there's like excellent, excellent forage and the grass is really green, where you can look out and see a thousand kangaroos. Um, but typically they're going to stay in these, in these mobs of less than 10. And do you know what a female kangaroo is called? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to remember church. The, That's okay. the, the uh, knowledge flyers. Oh, okay. Flyers, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then males are called, this is a fun one. Not boomers. Boomers. Okay. Wow, so, boomers and flyers? Wow, that's crazy. Boomers, okay. flyers, and mobs. That's, that's the lingo. Yeah, I, okay. I got the mob. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And membership of these mobs are going to be flexible because males are not super territorial. They're typically going to only fight, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second, when it comes to uh, a female being in estrus or being in heat. And the largest male, that six footer, maybe seven footer, is going to be the most dominant and he'll control most of the matings that take place mm -hmm. within the mob. And so in regards to communication, do you think they're vocal or what do you think? No, I, I would think they're a little bit vocal. I don't know. Yeah, yeah they, they do. They definitely make some sounds. I mean, they're not going to be one of mm -hmm. your noisy animals like an elephant or a mm -mm, horse or mm -mm. something like that. But the answer is like, Definitely, yes. Males are going to make a clucking sound, especially when they approach a female. And mom, mothers will also make a clucking, I don't know if chirping or a guttural, I don't know quite how to describe it, uh, but they'll make mm -hmm. that sound to their joeys. And of course, they'll also use it to help encourage their joeys when it's time for them, like an alarm call or whatever, when it's time for them to get back in their pouch. But they're not super noisy. They're not going to be like the lemurs, which we've recently covered, things like that. So why and how they communicate, there's actually not too much research done on that. Okay. And okay. so it's speculated that a large form of their communication is going to come in through perception because they have great sight. 
So they can mm-hmm. understand body language and things like that. And then probably also through chemical modes of communication, like pheromones, obviously when the female is in heat, mm-hmm. things like that. So, and as you mentioned, they have awesome hearing. So those, those are things that are going to help them navigate and communicate not only uh, with each other, but also navigate the world that they live in and have survived in for so long. So to answer the age old question, do kangaroos box? Right, right, right. Absolutely. They do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they do. And it's not necessarily maybe how we think of boxing in America mm-hmm. with just two gloves and going at each other in the fists. I don't really know all the boxing rules. I just know that it's like your fists. So there's definitely fighting. And it's been described in all species of kangaroos. Uh, but the fights in general are typically going to be brief, but they can, or ritualized, but they can be long. So it all depends on the situation. And so there's going to be highly competitive situations like males fighting for access of a female who's in an asterisk and ready to be bred. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be Fights over drinking spots, which of course in the hot summer of Australia is probably somewhat limited, right? So the different types of fights or boxing between kangaroos, they can be brief, they can be long, or they can just be kind of like a ritual. So it depends on the situation, whether it's a male fighting for a a female, a breeding female or for resources like drinking spots, which are really important in the hot Mm -hmm. Australian sun. So, that's going to navigate whether it's going to be this brief, quick, just who's the dominant one who wins, or if it's going to be more of a lengthy, a lengthy fight of males trying to win dominance. So it'd be a challenger fighting against a more dominant male. But those fights, I don't want to use the word rare, but mm-hmm. the longer, like really intense ones, are saved for special occasions when, for when a challenger really wants to go after a dominant male and in order to um, gain breeding rights to, to a couple of females. And so, because they know it's risky. And if you, I spent a lot of time watching some amazing BBC uh, video clips of wild kangaroos fighting and it's really impressive. They uh, lean back up on their, they, of course, fight with their hands, kind of like not really punching, but claw. I mean, they'll claw each other at their eyes and their face, and they'll push each other. And they do all this while they're leaning back on their tail on their hind legs. And But unlike American boxing or what you think of boxing, where you're just mm-hmm. hitting each other with your hands, they actually lean back. And will balance on their tails and thrust out both of their hind legs, these big, powerful, jumping, strong hind legs to kick the opponent. And they will kick the opponent wherever they can. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, safe zone. So, I mean, and those hind legs are strong. So they use those mechanisms as well, which can be really, really powerful. And, and they'll, and then they'll sometimes even, hold each other's forearms too, um, as a way to kind of assert dom that's more of like wrestling in my opinion, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like hold mm-hmm. forearms. And so it, it, it is really interesting. Um, and I found this really cool study. It's a little bit dated. It's from 1991 and it's out of a group from the university of new South Wales. But what the paper did after spending a lot of time looking at red kangaroo behavior and trying to assess the fights and the boxing of was it all aggression or was there some play in there? And we know, of course, the juvenile kangaroos will play box. In fact, I mean, most juveniles of any species do a lot of play fighting. And researchers speculate often that that's to help them practice and get stronger for when they do have to do some of these adult-like behaviors in order to win territory or breeding rights. And I don't think red kangaroos are any different. But what, what these researchers noticed is that even amongst adults is that, of course, there's some of these more intense combats that I had mentioned earlier. 
but some of it they think is maybe more ritualized and might even be a form of play depending on which individuals it it is and what time of year it is um and so it's it's not as um us humans we like to simplify things and put everything in his box in a box pardon the pun so boxing is not just straight up i'm going to box you and try to kill you and end a story mm-hmm. uh it's probably a lot there's probably a lot more going on as far as subtleties of who's doing what and when and for how long that mean a lot more to the red kangaroo and their mob society than, mm-hmm. than meets the eye. So yeah, it's uh but yes, they definitely do. We'll have to put some videos on, um, on the show notes because it is, it is quite impressive. And yeah, especially when they do these, like these hind leg kicks when they're leaning back against their tail and, yeah, I used tough. to, yeah, I used to watch videos of the, the young ones play fight. It was just mm-hmm. hilarious. Like it's just, oh, they're oh, so even, adorable. Even the they're adults, so it's kind of, I mean, like, you know, they're kind of hurting each other. Um, mm-hmm. but it is still, it's still really interesting. I guess that's why people maybe watch boxing and they're like, ooh, that was a good move. Oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. You <know>? yeah. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, like, are, are, right. yeah. Like, are you voting for the, like, the, 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 the underdog or the main guy? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, um, but, truth of the matter is they try not to engage in this stuff unless they really are gonna beat the dominant one. You know what I mean? Because it, it right, fighting right. is, it, it is, it is, it can be harmful. Taxing. There's no mm-hmm. fighting to the death typically, I don't think, or anything like that. But yes, it's very taxing on their resources. Mm-hmm. And then if you get an injury, mm-hmm. like, I mean, their claws are sharp. If you get a scratch to the eye, you could mm-hmm. lose an eye. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it's not taken lightly. Um, so yeah, but the yeah, whole, yeah. One of the driving factors of this, of course, is breeding. And mm-hmm. so the interesting thing about kangaroos is that there's not a permanent association of males and fe- females. So it's kind of fluid. They move from season to season and to partner to partner. And the male kangaroo, the dominant one of the mob, is going to breed all the females. And basically until he gets pushed out by a younger, stronger male. And... He'll actively, he'll monopolize the females and he'll actively have to drive out other males. And depending on, and usually that the younger, smaller males are smarter and they take a look, good look at his, his, uh, those forearm muscles and mm-hmm, they no mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep. so yeah, but when a boxing match does ensue, it's, uh, it's usually figured out relatively quickly, um, who's going to be the tough guy and the strong guy. And all this, of course, is happening when a female is in estrus. And so when she is receptive for a male, a male is going to court her um, for a couple days. So kudos to him. He'll sniff all around her and make sure that she is in estrus. And then kangaroos, Chris, do a Fleming response. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and, sniffing around, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so... If, you know, if she is an estrus, um, he'll approach her slowly. He doesn't want to scare her away. And if she doesn't run away, he'll do some, he'll lick her and maybe do some pawing or gentle scratching at her. Um, and then this may go on for a couple of days and they may, they may breed multiple times. And I also found it interesting that they can, they can breed throughout the year. But once they do breed, a female is going to gestate her young for about 33 days, which is very short. Yeah, very, very. Mm -hmm. And then comes my favorite part. I always do. I've been doing this in my behavior class and I always used to do it on a tour when I'd give tours of uh, the kangaroos back in the day. And when a Joey is born, it's teeny, teeny, tiny. It weighs about 0.75 grams. So not even, not even a gram. Mm -mm. And and although they're born with well-developed tongues, jaw muscles, nostrils, forelimbs, and digits, they're otherwise, they're, their other external features are pretty much non-existent. So I always talk about how a jelly bean-like teeny tiny structure with just like little kind of T-Rex arms barely. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. has to navigate from the vagina where it's born externally up, up, up like a little jelly bean doing pull-ups up the mm-hmm. fur to get to the mom's pouch because inside the pouch is 
is where the, the mammary glands or the mammae mm-hmm. are found, where it needs to latch in order to get milk, in order to grow. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, I kind of just close my eyes and squint my eyes and act like a little squeaking blind uh, jelly yeah. bean with just arms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's super fascinating to me when you talk about instinct of how they know where to na- – like they're not even developed and they know how to like navigate – you know, from the vaginal canal into the pouch. It's just nuts. The whole thing is nuts. Uh, but so once they're born, they, they will immediately attach itself to the nipple and basically just hang on and get some milk and then slowly start forming into an animal, <laughs> you know, into, mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. a kangaroo. Yeah. 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 Uh, into what it actually looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it takes, you know, and it takes a while and they just hang out in that pouch. And they stay attached to that nipple for about 70 days. So, uh, and then I think by there, they're a little bit more developed and they can, even, that's when you maybe start seeing a head poking out and things like that. They might mm-hmm. go out and, ex- mm-hmm. and explore. Uh, but what's also a favorite part of my, used to be a favorite part of my tour. And now that you've helped me learn so much more about reproductive physiology, I know all the nitty gritty. Yeah, the yeah. kangaroos also do this gnarly thing, and, and we know this a little bit in the horse world, but they give birth, and then horses come into estrus like nine to quickly. ten days yeah. later. Yeah, quickly. quickly, yeah. They get pregnant again. So mm-hmm. kangaroos will breed one to two days after they've given birth. Okay. Okay. Well, that's quick. And <laughs> that's pretty quick. Very quick. But yeah. But wait for it. But Chris, what happens here is totally different than horses. And we've talked about this in other species, but I don't know why with a kangaroo, it's just so fascinating. So a kangaroo gives birth, comes into heat, will breed again one to two days later. The next egg is fertilized. Why? In the meanwhile, that poor little jelly bean like uh, embryo, Joey, is, is crawled up into the pouch, attached itself to a nipple. And once... And basically what happens is that la- the lactation part of now producing milk for the Joey that's in her pouch mm-hmm. shuts her cycle down. And so that recently fertilized embryo will go into what's called embryonic diapause. Okay. And so it just hangs out there frozen in time for a while. Yeah. For up to 200 days. Oh, wow. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, because that's how long, you know, the, the other Joey that's actually in her pouch right. is nursing and obviously taking up a lot of resources. And, you know, it's coming out of the pouch and going back in and probably starting to graze, but it's still very nutritionally demanding on its mom. Mm-hmm. And so the Joey that's in her pouch is getting bigger and stronger and will eventually come out and will live. It's getting too mm-hmm. big. Mom kicks it. Okay. You can't be here anymore, but she still, it still stays with mom for a long time because sexual maturity is reached anywhere from 15 to 20 months in a female and 20 to 24 months in males. This is the longest explanation I've ever given about this amazing process because, well, we have a captive audience, but. Right, Basically, right. the catch line is, I would tell on a tour, is that a female kangaroo has an embryo in diapause, a joey in her pouch, and then an older adult joey on the ground. Three of her offspring at all times. Hmm. Typically. Okay. Well, I mean, that's probably why they're doing so well, but yeah, it's, that's, it's an interesting, strategy reproductive wise it really is it really yeah. is now i'll tell you what researchers think of why maybe this embryonic diapause developed in kangaroos is because baby joey in the pouch that's nursing i mean it was like a jelly bean it crawled up in there i mean it can easily like fall out before it makes it mm-hmm. all the way up to the nipple or when it's in the nipple like there's things that could happen where it could die before it gets old enough and so researchers think that having one that's been fertilized, that's in diapause and just hanging out, the minute that female stops lactating is when the other one will start to like gestate. 
and grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if something happens okay. to the current joey that's in her pouch, she's got one lined up. Ready to go. Ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So really fascinating reproduction. And don't quiz me on all the hormones involved. <laughs> I didn't have time to look up all that. But I'm sure it's pretty gnarly and super interesting if you're a reproduction dork like me. And maybe, yeah, like, no, maybe like, like one of our listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, it's still, you know, you're thinking about hormone feedback and all that stuff. Those are kind of going, as you were talking about, it was going through my head. But, you know, like you talked about, I mean, they're red kangaroos out of all, you know, all these kangaroos, these macropods, least concern. Sure. Population over 11 million, 11 and a half million of them in Australia. So they're doing well, but about a million are killed each year. You know, or overall kangaroos, not just the reds, but there's the grays and the others because some, like I said, some in Australia consider them a pest. They're, they're harvesting them for their meat and their fur. So they're hunted. And again, this population explosion, some ecologists or some people in Australia said we need to cull them because they're having a devastating effect on the environment. But I think Angie and I, we kind of talked about this and kind of Again, giving you our opinion, when you start messing with nature like that, like we saw with the elephants in uh, South, not South Africa, but I think it was Zimbabwe, that, you know, when you remove these, these animals from the environment, it has dramatic effects, negative effects on the biome. So again, probably not very smart, you know, whoever's saying that we need to, to really cool these animals. Let, let nature take its course is my opinion. But anyways, uh, there are some endangered wallabies and kangaroos and we're going to bring them you mean tree to the kangaroos. podcast, tree kangaroos. Uh, there's the rock wallaby, the Naberlek. I think that's one of the most endangered. It's rare. You know, they're only found on a few islands off Australia now. So, so some of them are in trouble and, and we'll be telling their story more in the, in the new future. And but man, if you think kangaroos are cute, tree kangaroos are ridiculous. Oh yeah. I know. I know. And they're up there. They're so amazing. So who's out there protecting kangaroos? Well, there's definitely amazing groups in Australia that work fast and furious to help protect these guys. And I don't have time to mention all of them, but one that really jumped out to me and maybe some of our Australian listeners can point us in more kangaroo directions as far as people we could interview, experts we could interview or other uh, sanctuaries out there. But this week I'm going to select the kangaroo sanctuary in Alice Springs. And they can be found at kangaroosanctuary.com or, of course, on Facebook and other social media sites. And I think we need to go here because it seems pretty awesome. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They they were first established in 2005 and just since then have grown. In 2013, a documentary was made there called Kangaroo Dundee. And, of course, the mission for the Kangaroo Sanctuary is to rescue, rehabilitate, and release orphan baby kangaroos back into the wild. And those that cannot be released back in the wild due to injuries are get to hang out in their almost 200-acre sanctuary. So okay. they're big believers in education, just like us. And so they provide education to other wildlife uh other wildlife experts, the general public, school groups, and visitors, um, if you're lucky enough to get to go on one of their guided tours. So they uh, are doing just such great, hopeful, positive work. And like you said, caring for sometimes these misunderstood creatures uh, that mm-hmm. are really important for the environment and do deserve second chances if they're injured. And of course, a lot of uh, what ends up happening is a lot of them are wounded by eagles or dingoes or, of course, mm-hmm. vehicles. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So kudos kangaroo sanctuary, uh, check them out. We'll put them on our show notes and, uh, yeah, follow them on Facebook. You'll definitely, your feed will definitely be filled with, um, cute kangaroo pictures. And so, yeah, we appreciate all your hard work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just some conservation tips of the week. Don't ever eat kangaroo meat or buy products with kangaroo fur. It's, these aren't farm raised. They're not animals that are, you know, these are ones that have been hunted or, or cold or killed. Uh, just I saw a thing, a Gucci, and I don't know when these came out, but it was pretty recently, sold shoes lined with kangaroo fur, you know, and there was some backlash on social media with that. So, I was say, well, you why know, do you need shoes lined with fur? That's just 
It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, you know, there's, there's fake fur now. Like we don't need to be, you know, uh, buying things with that. Also, just again, you know, eat less beef. It's just a thing. Angie and I harp on, you know, it, it just, you don't need anything more than a, if you eat a steak the size of your palm. It's just many ranchers in Australia view these as pests and they're competing with the grass and the grasslands. And so like the bison in, in United States, you know, sure. they, they almost went away. They were right. hunted to almost near extinction. You know, this, this could happen to the kangaroos. So, you know, again, we just need to reduce the amount of meat in our diets. You know, it's a healthier lifestyle. You know, I'm not saying to be vegan or vegetarian, but just limit you know, the amount of meat you eat and you'll make a contribution. But other than that, thank you so much for your support. Again, for our Patreon subscribers, you have supported African penguin nests. And again, next month we'll be endangered African penguin nests. And we've supported many organizations and we're going to keep doing that each month. So thank you so much. Uh, you know, stay tuned for your next special episode and we'll see you then. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.